Food Heals Nation, I've got a new wellness hack that I am obsessed with. It's this little device and it's called True Vega. And what it does is stimulates our vagus nerve. And one of the most essential functions of our vagus nerve is to balance our nervous system. It does this by regulating our fight or flight or rest and digest responses within our sympathetic and parasympathetic areas of our nervous system. That is so cool. So when do we use it? We want to use it when we're stressed, when we're feeling that fight or flight, when we can't rest, right? So what you do is you find your pulse on your neck. Then you put your True Vega device on your neck and turn it on until you start feeling the stimulation, okay? Stimulating the vagus nerve with Truvega helps balance and strengthen the nervous system to reduce stress, increase focus, improve your mood, and improve your sleep. Oh, that's my that's my favorite part, and that's the thing I want the most improvement on all of the time. Truvega is owned by Electrocore, and it uses its patented technology for overall health and wellness benefits. And so it's just two minutes long, and you can do it in the morning, and you can do it in the evening. And yeah, it's a great health hack to add to your wellness routine. Truvega comes programmed with 350 sessions. So if you use it twice a day, that's about six months. I love that it has no wires or charging docks or anything like that that I'm going to lose. It just comes with the sessions that you need. They do offer free shipping and payment plan options plus a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're ready to stimulate your vagus nerve, visit truvega.com, that's T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com, enter the promo code FOODHEALS so you can enhance your wellness journey, add another healing tool to your healing toolbox, and receive $15 off. That's T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com, promo code FOODHEALS at checkout. Enjoy. Y'all, oh my God, Food Heals Nation, I just got the softest sheets and pajama set from Cozy Earth, and I had to go and get you a discount code too, so that you could experience the coziness as well. You can visit CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS, and you'll get an exclusive 35% off. So Cozy Earth, it's like your one-stop shop for what they call the luxury she deserves. So listen up, guys because this could make a great gift for that special someone, your girlfriend, your wife, the mother in your life. And don't forget, Mother's Day will be here before we know it. So get a gift for the mom or moms. Here's a nice little gift you could ask for. Anyways, let's start with the sheets to transform your sleep. The coolest thing about Cozy Earth Bedding is that it is temperature regulating. So you stay cool, which is so important when you're sleeping. Plus they are just so soft. It feels like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Plus I love the cozy earth quality and longevity promise. All products come with a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty. So incorporating cozy earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and just overall wellness. So Again, this is the luxury you deserve. You can treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the Bamboo Pajama Set. It was awarded Oprah's Favorite Things in 2019, so you know it's good. I love the softness and breathability of the fabric, and it has these really great side pockets. And don't forget that by supporting our sponsors, you support this show. Head over to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS for an exclusive 
35% off and go get your mom the luxury she deserves on Mother's Day at CozyEarth.com with promo code FOODHEALS. Food Heals Podcast, episode 234. Soy products reduce the risk of dying of your cancer by about 30%. They reduce the risk of getting cancer in the first place by about 30%. The same is also seems to be true for prostate cancer in men. So soy doesn't give you cancer, it helps prevent it. I have a new book, it's called The Vegan Starter Kit. It answers the questions that you get, like where do you get your protein? What, where do you get calcium? Are there supplements I need? And it makes it so easy and approachable and exciting. And I absolutely love it. I actually wish that it had existed when I was transitioning because all I had was skinny bitch and those girls are just yelling at me like I'm terrible. (laughs) Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right, welcome Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. Today's show was so much fun, really informative. My co-host today is the sunshiny blonde formerly known as Leslie the Lab Girl on Bill Nye the Science Guy. She's now a celebrity vegan chef at the Four Seasons Punta Mita. Please welcome Leslie Durston. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. And gosh, this was a fantastic episode. I know. It was really good. I learned a lot. I love learning from other plant-based people, especially doctors who have the science and the research and the studies to back it up. Mm-hmm. It was so good. So today's guest is a doctor, a best-selling author. He's the host of four TV shows on PBS. He's an expert in plant-based nutrition. Get excited for Dr. Neil Barnard. Yeah, Dr. Barnard is the president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. He's a fellow at the American College of Cardiology and the 2016 recipient of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine's Trailblazer Award. He's led numerous research studies investigating the effects of diet on diabetes, body weight, and chronic pain, including a groundbreaking study of dietary intervention on type 2 diabetes that was funded by the National Institute of Health. And he's authored more than 70 scientific publications, 18 books, including the New York Times bestseller, Power Foods for the Brain, 21-Day Weight Loss Kickstart. And if that wasn't enough, Dr. Barnard also has authored more than 70 scientific publications, as well as 18 books. And his brand new book is coming out, The Vegan Starter Kit. You're going to love it, Food Heals Nation. We're going to talk all about that in today's interview. When does this guy ever have time to to play in a band, by the way? Oh, yeah. We're going to ask him about that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So in our research, we found out that Dr. Barnard plays three instruments. He's very musical. Yes. What does he play? Such a rock star. He plays the cello, the guitar, and the keyboards. I'm so impressed. Me, too. Yeah. And he's plant-based. I know. 
He's like one of our favorite guests ever already. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we get to our interview with Dr. Barnard, I have to tell you about our Food Heals Holiday Gift Guide. We've got all sorts of discount codes for you on some of our favorite organic vegan products and services on brands like Banish Skincare, Teamy Blends, Addictive Wellness Chocolate, and so much more. Get your guide for free at foodhealsnation.com slash gift guide. Next up, our interview with Dr. Barnard. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. You've seen today's guests in multiple documentaries, including What the Health, Forks Over Knives, Eating You Alive, and many more. He's one of my personal favorite plant-based doctors. Please welcome Dr. Neil Barnard. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. I appreciate you including me in the program. Yes, we're so happy to have you. I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a long time. You are someone that I've looked up to. I watch all of your videos and I'm just a super fan. So we're happy to have you. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Thank you. So for anyone who's living under a rock and may not know who you are and what you do, can you just (laughs) let us know a little bit about yourself? Sure. I run a group here called the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. It's based in Washington, but we've got members all over the place. And what we do is we promote what I'm going to say is preventive medicine, but that what that really means is food and especially plant-based diets. We also do research studies. So people who have diabetes or high cholesterol come in, we change their diets and we record the results in major journals. And we also uh, have a clinic. It's called the Barnard Medical Center. So for people who need primary care, they, we provide that. But nobody leaves without us talking to them about what they eat, because for many people, that's number one with regard to their health. And we also have a whole department that deals with alternatives to the use of animals in research. So those are all the things that we do. And and I have to confess that every single thing that I do is exactly the opposite of kind of what I thought I was doing when I was a kid. I grew up in North Dakota and, you know, it was cattle country and that was sort of all I knew about. But now I'm encouraging people to leave the cattle away and leave them off their plate and eat asparagus instead. I love that. Have things changed in North Dakota? I've been to 49 states and North Dakota is the last one on my list. You have not been, you have not, you've been to every state other than North Dakota? Yes. You haven't, you have not been to Fargo? I have not been to Fargo yet, but I hear there's a vegan restaurant. Did you see the movie? Yes, yes. yes. Well then, well, then that counts. Ah, <laughs> That's close no, enough. No, it doesn't count. I have to touch down. I'm so excited to get No, there. let me tell you something. Yes, there may be a vegan restaurant there. However, I want to say that when I was a kid, I grew up in Fargo. That was my hometown. I mean, I still go back there. But there, on Main Avenue in Fargo, there is a restaurant called the Mexican Village, which will serve you a vegan burrito filled with so many jalapenos and lots of refried beans, 100% vegan. If you leave off the cheese, it's vegan. And you, you will love it. So I want you to go there and you'll, you'll really like it. Sounds delicious. Now, I'm a tough critic. I'm a vegan chef and I work in Mexico. So I'm a tough <laughs> critic of Mexican food. But I will definitely have the Mexican in North Dakota. You're going to absolutely love it. It's the most authentic thing ever in the world. When you go there, then go on down Interstate 94 to the western part of the state and you can see the Badlands, which are really gorgeous. So you're going to love North Dakota. So excited. Well, I saw the Badlands in South Dakota. Yeah, me too. And so gorgeous. So I'm really looking forward to it. So let's talk about how kid, a rancher's son in Fargo, North Dakota, what made you want to become a doctor? What made you want to go into plant-based nutrition world? Well, it was not exactly logically planned, I have to say. The best things in life are not. (laughs) 
Well, you know, it's, it's funny because nowadays what we're doing is we're doing diabetes research. And I think in the research world, that's what we're known for is that we showed that with a plant-based diet, diabetes can sometimes just be reversed and go away. And, and yet what happened to me, my dad was in the cattle business. He did not like the cattle business very much and he left it. And he then went to medical school and he became the diabetes expert for Fargo and all of Eastern North Dakota and Western Minnesota. Wow. Uh, yes. Uh, so he was the doctor at the Fargo Clinic. And I never once heard him say that anybody's diabetes ever got better. You know, he never got, came back home and threw his bag down and said, you know, I cured somebody of their diabetes. It like never happened. And I really thought there was nothing more dull and boring than diabetes. But for me, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it, it was it was like nothing was ever going to get better. It was just a losing battle. So what I was interested in, I was interested in the human mind and how, why people do what they do and, and so forth. So I went to medical school with the idea I was going to be a psychiatrist and understand humanity. And I did that. However, the year before I started medical school, I had a job at a hospital in Minneapolis and I was the autopsy assistant. And so when the person would die in the hospital, the pathologist would examine the body and show me everything. And on one particular day, we had a man who died in the hospital of a massive heart attack, probably from eating hospital food, but that's another story. So anyway, <laughs> so he, here was this dead person. And so he cut a big chunk of ribs off the front of the chest so he could examine the heart and set the ribs on the table. And he, and he would give me this detailed explanation. Here are the coronary arteries. They're called coronary arteries because they crown the heart. And he sliced them open and he showed me the atherosclerotic plaque that had built up. And he would say, this is your bacon and eggs. It causes this. And it was very graphic. And at the end of this particular exam, though, he finished up and he left the room and I had to clean everything up. So I put the ribs back in the chest and I sewed up the skin. Oh. And I went, I went up to the cafeteria. Yeah, beautiful, isn't it? Um, I went up to the cafeteria <laughs> and they were serving ribs for lunch that day. Oh, nothing makes you want to eat ribs than, than just dissecting ribs, right? <laughs> the smell of it was just like a dead body. The look of it was just like a dead body. And I suddenly realized this is a dead body. It's not a human body, but it's a body nonetheless. And I didn't become ve vegan on the spot, but I could not eat that. And it planted the seed in my mind. And, and then as time went on, over the next year or so, I started to think more about it uh, both from a health standpoint and also from the animal standpoint. Because I grew up, I drove cattle to East St. Louis to slaughter. I shot animals uh, hunt while we were hunting and I did all this stuff. And I started to just rethink all of this. And when I got to medical school at the George Washington University here in DC, one day they had dog lab where you're supposed to experiment on dogs and kill them. And I just said, I, I just refused to do it. I said, no way, I'm not going to do it. And even though it was a required for you. even though it was a required lab, I didn't do it. And anyway, the point I'm making is, time went on. I started to think a about the health aspects of what we're doing and the need to promote preventive medicine. But I also thought that compassion, whether it's for human beings or for animals or whatever, compassion must be the foundation of what we do in medicine. And so that means we must do our research ethically. If a patient has a disease that is related to food, you can't just throw medications at them and say, good luck. We've got to really deal with these things in serious, responsible ways. So I set up this group with the worst possible name, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which nobody can remember, but we've grown a lot and I think we're doing uh, some pretty good work right now. Compassion as the foundation of medicine. I love that so much. So well said. That's what medicine used to be. Now, even though I said, you know, I didn't want to follow in my father's footsteps, my dad made house calls. 
he would go out to people's houses if, if they needed help. And, and if you look at what's happened to medicine now, doctors put walls between themselves and their patients. I mean, our number was listed in the book. People could call. You know, nowadays they don't want to be bothered. And they, they forget that if you're a doctor, it's you're in a partnership with your patient to help them as much as you can. And so with regard to food, the patient who comes in with a high cholesterol level, they don't have a Lipitor deficiency that you have to make up for by giving them a prescription for a statin drug. They got that from eating Spam and Velveeta. And so you, you've got to talk with them about the cause of their disease. And the same is true with diabetes or hypertension. These are things that have their roots in food. And not only does a doctor have a responsibility to talk with a patient about food and to help them and to be a really good coach for them, but when they do, the patients are thrilled because instead of being just a funnel for throwing in medications, um, they are, are an active participant in their own recovery. And that's what we see. Our patients at the Barnard Medical Center, they just really, they work with the doctors and they get healthy yeah. together. And why is it that, you know, doctors are not schooled in nutrition. And if you go to medical school, you get little to no nutrition training. So how did you get your nutrition training? How did you, you know, get into this so that you could provide that education? Well, at first, yeah, what you said is exactly right. <laughs> you get a little bit of nutrition training, but they'll, for example, they'll say vitamin C. It's in um, citrus fruit. And if you don't get it, you could get scurvy, um, which is a disease that you just read about in history books, that English sailors got scurvy. And, you know, you'll, you're never going to see a patient with scurvy, as long as your career may be. So they, they really don't touch on what's important. For me, I started, after I had started the Physicians Committee, there was a foundation that was dealing with diabetes research, and they were tired of being asked to give out grants for rat experiments and mouse experiments. They said, we want to really get more to the core of this. And I said, well, you need to focus on nutrition. And so I started working with them on that. On that. And just in the course of all these things, you just start to learn more and more of the importance of it. And then uh, in 2003, NIH gave us a grant to do what I think was a really pivotal, pivotal study where we looked at the effect of a vegan diet on type 2 diabetes. And that's when I first saw my first patient where the diabetes just flat out disappeared in a patient. And I was just stunned that that would happen because I wasn't prepared for that. You know, in medical school, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And what you had seen as a kid. Right. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. Now we see it all the time. Which is such an amazing thing. Thank goodness that type 2 diabetes is not a, a death sentence that it once was. Oh, it, it is so empowering for the patients, for the doctors, for their families to realize there are things that you can do about it. But food changes are front and center. And a lot of people get it wrong. They think, understandably, they think diabetes means there's too much sugar in my blood, which is true. So they think, well, I got this from eating sugar, or I got this from eating bread, which releases sugar into my blood. But the truth of it is that those are just symptoms of diabetes. The cause of diabetes is that the cells of the body can't take in sugar normally. Nor normally, your muscle cells pull the sugar out of your blood, and they use that sugar like fuels to power your movements. Your brain takes in sugar to power your thoughts. Your liver takes in sugar. But in diabetes, the sugar can't get into the cells. And that's because you had a ham sandwich for lunch with mayonnaise and Velveeta on it, or you ate fried chicken. We eat fatty foods. The fat gets into the cells and stops the cells from being able to, to function very well. So they can no longer pull the sugar out of the blood. So that's our approach to diabetes is to get the fat out of the cells. And the way to do that is to get the fat out of the diet. 
Okay, let's go into this. Thank you so much for clarifying that. So right now, there's always a new fad diet, whether, okay, we're all vegan here. So we can talk about veganism all day, but there's like high carb, low carb, keto, all of these things, high fat, like, can you talk about that? Like, what are the studies showing us? What is the research showing us? What is the science showing us about the diet to heal chronic disease? Sure. Well, I mentioned that the NIH funded us to do a, a test of what at the time was a radically different diet approach. And to their credit, you know, NIH said, let's, let's do a head-to-head test of a vegan diet versus a conventional diet. The conventional diabetes diet was cut calories so that you lose weight and don't eat too much carbohydrate so that your, the sugar is released into the blood only kind of gradually and you can handle it. That was the current diet, and that's still used a fair amount now. And the vegan diet was no animal products, of course. We also kept oils pretty low, uh, so, so you're not adding oils as you cook. And then um, we also favored what I call low glycemic index foods. The glycemic index was invented by David Jenkins at the University of Toronto, and it, it says uh, white bread will raise your blood sugar pretty fast, but rye bread is more gentle on your blood sugar, so choose rye. A children's breakfast cereal will is all sugary. That'll raise your blood sugar. Don't have that. Have bran cereal or have oatmeal instead. So we use the glycemic index to choose the healthiest foods, but but it's not low carb at all. What we showed is that the improvement in blood sugar control was three times better with this diet than with the conventional diet. And so you're eating vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans and and doing well. Now some people will say, why don't you just avoid carbohydrate? And that's the low-carb diet, or now it's called the keto diet. And I, I sometimes think about the fact here in, in Washington, D.C., where I live, we have these insects, these cicadas. They go into the trees. They, they buzz, and you hear them, and they're there for a few weeks, and then they go back in the ground. And they stay in the ground for 17 years, and then they come back again 17 years later. And so every 17 years they do this. And I think that while they're in the ground, they write books about low-carb diets. <laughs> Because they about r- roughly every seventeen years, there's a new one of these. It was Atkins, right, so true. And then and then nothing happens, and people forget about it. And then it was South Beach, and then everyone kind of forgets about it. And then it's ketogenic, and then this this is going to go away too, and it'll be something else. Here's what happens: if you know carbohydrate is about half of what you eat. You know, if you eat vegetables, you know, sweet potatoes, beans, noodles, rice, these things are starchy. And if the ketogenic diet says, don't eat any starch, then you're going to stop eating about half of your normal diet. And if you do that, your blood sugar will fall because, and and you're going to lose weight also because you're kind of in semi-starvation. But you can only keep that up for a while. And if it leaves you with meat or eggs, which don't have any starch, then for a lot of people, their cholesterol goes up. Now, now, normally when you lose weight, no matter how you lose weight, your cholesterol should fall. And so a lot of keto dieters say, this is great, I'm losing weight, my cholesterol is good. But for many of them, their cholesterol gets really bad. And when you just look at the bottom line, do you live or do you die? The mortality on low-carb diets is substantially higher. Uh, I'm talking about long-term mortality. If you look at people who follow that kind of dietary pattern over decades, they die younger than other people. It's, it's a completely unnatural diet. And people buy into it just because it sounds like a, a faddish way to lose weight. 
Yeah, and there's good convincing arguments for and against it. And so even people like me get super confused when I'm like, you know, doing my research. So I need to hear it from someone like you. <laughs> well, I think it's a cop out for people that don't want to eat real food that want to continue to indulge. And in, yes, it can be for sure. In, in unhealthy foods that don't want to give up their steak, that don't want to give up all of the things that they know deep down are not good for them. So they find a diet that justifies their actions. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, if you look at the big picture, if you look at, say, Japan, before McDonald's ever arrived in Tokyo, I'm talking about 1960, for example, the Japanese diet was rice, rice based, huge amounts of rice and noodles. And if people ate meat, it was only just as a, a little bit as a flavoring. The way in America you might eat, you might have a pickle or something, you know, they, they would eat huge amounts of rice and vegetables, relatively little meat. There was very, very little diabetes, nobody was overweight, cholesterol levels were low, and there was very little cancer. Um, as soon as the meat-based diet started to displace the rice, and rice started to fall, all these problems got worse. More heart disease, more cancer, more diabetes, more weight problems. Uh, interestingly enough, more depression, more acne, and so Western health problems started to invade. And when they were on a high carbohydrate, healthy plant-based diet, they did so much better. But of course, the, you know, the other big thing now is paleo. It's starting to fade a little bit, but paleo is just what you said. It's, it's, it's kind of a romantic notion that, you know, if I eat this way, maybe you'll put me on the cover of men's health. The, the whole idea <laughs> being, you know, you're going to eat like a hunter-gatherer. But to its credit, the paleo diet says don't eat dairy products, which is, that's a, that's a good move. Their, their whole idea was eat things that we started to eat after we figured out how to eat meat. So in other words, after the advent of the Stone Age, when you had arrowheads and stuff, um, but before we learned how to plant anything. And so they want to eat just things that did not involve agriculture. But it's it's a very limited diet. It's nowhere near as healthy as a vegan diet. Well, while we're talking about diets, there's a, there's a hot button right now floating around the internet. You know, if you look at all of the blue zone studies that are being done of, you know, the people living longest in the world and you find like the basis of most of their diets always include some sort of wheat or, or rice and beans. And now this whole anti-lectin movement mm. has been going on. So how do you feel it? What are the, what's the beans on beans? Doc? <laughs> oh, you know, just forget this lectin stuff. It's, it's has really zero scientific basis. I mean, it, I, it's not even really worth talking about. I have to tell you um, that you, you'll get the occasional fad book about it. And, th and that's what it is. This will die out. And the, re the reason I say that is there have been so many studies on beans and the health effects of beans, and they're always positive. Cholesterol levels fall. They're very low glycemic index. No, the lectin thing is really not worth worrying about. And they're a great, cheap, inexpensive way to get plant protein delivered yeah. to you. For sure. And not just protein, because, I mean, you're not going to be low on protein, whether you eat beans or not. You're going to get plenty of protein on a plant-based diet. But beans have, they do have protein. They have healthy, complex carbohydrates. They have um, iron. They've got calcium. They've got a little trace of omega-3. They, they don't have a good lobby group, so I need to cheerlead for my friend the beans, but they're a good healthy food. I know. I feel like beans need the PR person that did kale a couple <laughs> years ago. You know? 
Yeah, you know, that's true. I don't know who that was. Nobody had a better PR than Kale. I mean, that came out of nowhere. That is true. There was an obscure green that my grandma used to make me eat when I was a kid that I couldn't stand. And now, I mean, it's unbelievable what happened with that. Now item. it's as trendy so, as quinoa. I know. We need <laughs> we need that PR agent. Yeah, that's an interesting thing you said. I don't know why that happened. And I have to tell you that in North Dakota, nobody eats kale. But when I first had it, I went, I not yet. Well, they not probably yet. eat it now. Because I went years and years ago, I had some steamed kale with some Bragg amino acids. You know, you know the stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like it's like soy sauce. So they sell it right next to mm-hmm. soy. Yes, mm-hmm. I love we're, Bragg's. We're very familiar. <laughs> it's it's literally my soy. I don't use soy sauce. I only use the Bragg's liquid aminos. You could put it on a brick and it would taste great. When people put green vegetables and put a little brag on top or a little bit of lemon juice or a little bit of seasoned vinegar, this is like- Or a des- little bit of garlic. Or a little a bit, lot of garlic. bit of garlic. Yeah, exactly. It's like dessert. It's so great. And when I was a kid, I never ate broccoli or spinach or any of those things. And now I love them. I eat them for breakfast. It's, it's such healthy food. Yes. yes. Eat your greens for breakfast. That's what I always say. Yeah, that's a good point. Because otherwise, people are eating bacon and eggs and act- ending up like the cadaver on your table. Uh, you, you, you said it, I have to say. But happily, that is changing. And there are more and more people turning to a healthier diet. Isn't it exciting? I mean, I would love to know. I mean, in this world, I stopped eating meat when I was seven years old. And at the time, the only non-dairy milk option was a powdered rice milk that you had to stir into water. Ugh. And now I think about the not. Yeah, and you have to pour it on your cereal before it precipitates. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It was so disgusting. But now I think about walking down the grocery store and that unbelievable section of non-dairy milk that we have. And that is so exciting to me. What are some things that you find really exciting that are happening in the plant-based food world? Uh, well, the, the thing that you mentioned is a very exciting one. And let me, let me actually put a little footnote on that, if you don't mind. Because in recent years, you've seen more almond milk and hemp milk and oat milk and so forth. But I think soy milk is starting to retreat a little bit. And, and I think that's a mistake. And I want to stick up for my friend the soybean for a minute here. Let me be clear. I don't have any economic relationship with the soybean industry. And you don't have to have soy. It's totally optional. However, here's what I think is happening. People have suggested that soy will, that it has hormones that will give you cancer. You'll read this on the internet. Or is that soy has hormones that will cause a man to become effeminate or give him man boobs. I mean, you'll, you'll read these things on the internet. And it's not as if we haven't had enough time to check these things out. So if you don't mind, can I cheerlead for my friend the soybean for a minute? Sure. I believe it was in the 1930s that researchers discovered that soybeans contain isoflavones. And the isoflavones do have a structure that's a little bit similar to testosterone or estrogen or or other sex hormones. And so people started to study, do they have hormonal effects and whatever. However, what we have found is, number one, for men who consume soy products, whether it's tofu or tempeh or soy milk or miso or anything, they don't become effeminate, and it doesn't affect their fertility in any negative way at all. And if if somebody is not sure about that, Go to a soy-consuming country like China or Japan, and you will be impressed that they are not having any problem with fertility. Number two, with regard to breast cancer, some people used to to speculate that uh, there are estrogens in soy that could cause breast cancer. The truth is exactly the opposite, that when you look at women who consume the most soy products, and again, I'm talking about just soy milk or tofu or whatever, they have roughly 30% less breast cancer risk compared to women who don't consume soy. So that soy products reduce your risk of breast cancer by roughly 30%. Wait, okay. 
Did everybody just hear what he Yeah, I feel like you just busted a lot of myths. You so sure I think did. it's really important to reiterate that, yes, soy does not do your body bad. You know, I appreciate this, Dr. Barnard. It's totally optional. You don't, you don't have to have it, but it's very, very versatile. It's always healthier than what it replaces. So if you're having yogurt, dairy yogurt, and you go to soy yogurt, that's better. I mean, your skin will probably clear up and your digestion will be better and, and your cancer risk diminishes. Soy is very versatile. You can make yogurt, you can make milk, you can make cheese. One day they'll make snow tires out of it probably. You know, they make all kinds of stuff. You don't need to, but you don't have to have it, but it's fine. One last thing about soy though. Some well-meaning but ill-informed oncologists will tell a cancer patient, you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, you shouldn't have soy because soy has estrogens that will cause your cancer to progress. And you hear this from women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. It's not as if we haven't had time to study that. And there have now been five different studies. And you put them together, and women who have had breast cancer diagnosed in the past, those who consume the most soy have, again, roughly a 30% reduction in their cancer mortality compared to women who avoid soy. So let me, be, let me be clear. Soy products reduce the risk of dying of your cancer by about 30%. They reduce the risk of getting cancer in the first place by about 30%. I've been speaking of breast cancer. The same is also seems to be true for prostate cancer in men, although we don't have quite as much data. So soy doesn't give you cancer. It, it helps prevent it. So you don't have to have it. But when I go in the grocery store and I see it's all almond milk and stuff, I mean, that's great. I love almond milk. But there's nothing wrong with soy milk, and it's perfectly fine. And it's the one that's approved for use in schools. And kids are much better off with soy milk than they are with cow's milk. Mm -hmm. And one stat that I've bought into, so correct me if I am wrong, but it was something like 95% of the U.S. soy was genetically modified. And so that was a reason to avoid soy. What would you say to that? Okay, that's definitely not a reason to avoid soy, but that is a reason to avoid a pork chop. Here's what I mean. When I go home to Fargo, all around the town, there are genetically modified corn crops and genetically modified soy. They're beautiful. They go acre after acre. They're all genetically identical. They're gorgeous. But all of that is animal feed. That's going for chickens. It's going to cows. And it's going to pigs. When you go to the store and you pick up some tofu or some soy milk and it says organic on the label, by law, it cannot be GMO. There is no genetically modified anything in any organic soy product that you ever got. And that's what you're picking up. So on the other hand, the person who has to worry is the person who's going to Popeye's chicken or KFC or any other place. And they're ordering a chicken sandwich. Well, you know, where do you think, what do you think that chicken has been eating? Or if you're having a burger or if you're having pork chops, those animals for the most part are eating genetically engineered feed grains, including genetically engineered soy. So the genetically engineered soy is mostly just feed crops. This is so great because I want to tell anyone listening, I've had this experience. You may have had this experience. This is exactly how stats can get completely skewed, misinterpreted, and even by educated people who are doing their best. So I definitely bought into the stat because I switched over to soy milk for years. And then, you know, when it, when almond milk and cashew milk and all of these oat milks became available, I am always on the bandwagon of, I love all the milk. I don't discriminate with my milks, but I went off of the soy milk because of the stat that had been drilled into to my head and told to me also by doctors, well-meaning, but, you know, misinformed that yes, well, 95% of soy is genetically modified. So you want to avoid it, but you just busted that myth because even if it is, it doesn't matter because I'm not eating the meat. 
that it's genetically modified to feed the cows or, or the pigs or chickens. Yeah, I'm eating so the great. organic soy anyway. So that stat means nothing when it comes to my health. So you just totally blew my mind. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let me say one other thing that will probably maybe upset you. I'm rehabilitating soy, but I'm going to diss something else. I want to diss coconut oil. Yes, yes, yes. People are pitching coconut oil and palm oil like crazy. If you get a jar of it, it is like wax. Yeah, it, is yeah, so, sure. it is so high in saturated fat. And they will say, yeah, that's true, mm-hmm. but it's natural and it won't hurt you the way butter will. We have had more than enough time to test this. And if you take coconut oil and you feed it to volunteers, their cholesterol levels go okay. up. It, it Just as it happens with butter. Now, you could say, well, maybe not quite as much. Possibly. But it doesn't go down and it doesn't say the same. They do get worse. It's like lard. So the bad thing is that it is being so heavily marketed as this natural product. But I would strongly encourage people to avoid coconut fat completely. I'm, I'm not speaking here about coconut water or coconut milk. I'm speaking about the coconut oil. So wax your shoes with it if you want to, but I would not eat it. And if you read the labels on things like peanut butter, they're adding palm oil and coconut oil to peanut butter to give it that kind of buttery mm-hmm. taste. Skip those things. That's not su- not suitable for human consumption. I'm probably guessing your answer is going to be no, but sometimes I use coconut oil as a moisturizer, and I know that anything I put on my skin goes directly into my body, and I thought it was a healthy alternative to using something that would have a bunch of chemicals in it because it was just coconut oil and it was natural. But will that have the same effect if I'm putting it on my skin, on my arteries, or anything like that? Great question. Actually, that's okay. Uh, you don't absorb it. If you want to use it externally, it's not a problem. Oh. I'll also say, being yeah. an Italian, I like olive oil for moisturizing and for makeup removing. Okay. But uh, on that note, I'll ask, so coconut oil out, what is your favorite oil to cook with? I know we're supposed to do low oils, but if we're going to do an oil, what are we going to do? I mean, I love pesto. Vegetable broth. <laughs> Vegetable broth. Well, that doesn't make a very good pesto. That makes soup. <laughs> All right. Now, here, here's what we do. Let's say you have a fair amount of weight you want to lose, or if you've got diabetes, you want to get better. Let me talk just to those folks who really have a health issue they're trying to tackle. For, for those folks, you want to have no animal products, but you also want to learn the non-oil cooking techniques. So... What that means is if you've got some vegetables, you should be steaming them or baking them. You don't have to fry them in grease. And if you've got, say, uh, a recipe that says saute your mushrooms and onions or something like that in oil, you could saute them in vegetable broth. You could saute them in wine. You can even saute them on a dry pan. It's amazing. Um, if you're adding a little oil, just do a little whiff of Pam or something like that, but nothing, nothing much. Now, let's say you are a healthy person who's skinny and you don't have diabetes. For you, I wouldn't be adding oils, but the fattier foods like avocado or walnuts or almonds are things that that you can have in your diet, and they give you that the slightly fattier taste that you might like. Um, but if a person's got a lot of weight to lose, I take those out too. And yeah, and I'll go back to if you're sitting here because I am the chef on the show. If yes. you go back to what you're saying about cooking with broth or alcohol. Yes, absolutely. There are three flavor conductors out there that will bring out the flavor in the food that you're cooking. They are water, fat, and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so using either of any of those things is going to always increase the flavor of your food. But you can saute in alcohol or in broth. I highly recommend either of them. I really like cooking with alcohol. I should also mention, you know, for people who are concerned about it, as it heats up, the alcohol actually boils off. So it's not, it's not as if you're going to get high from what you've made. 
but you will have some residual flavor. Yes. Yeah, you well, you get residual flavor. Yeah. Oh, For that's sure. too, that's too bad. But it leaves a lot of flavor. Yeah, tequila, vodka, and beer and wine are probably my four favorite to cook with. And what about salt? All salts, if they're overused, will raise blood pressure. So it's good to keep salt within bounds. But that said, they don't have to and they shouldn't avoid salt completely. Your body actually has a, a need for sodium. And for people who are in the process of making a dietary transition, if they're going vegan and at the same time starting a low-salt diet, they sometimes get uh, troubled because they can't really taste food anymore. They need a little bit of saltiness in it. And so I would say go ahead and salt your food. You don't have to salt it when you're preparing it, but at the table you can put some on it, and then it'll, it'll just have a little bit of salt on the surface that will make it taste good and taste normal for you. Later on, you can let the amount of salt that you're using drift downward if you want to. Well, these have been some really, really helpful tips for anyone listening and for even Leslie and myself, because I'm always learning, even though we're already vegan. But what about people who want to start now or are leaning towards plant-based diets? What do you have for them? Oh, can I brag about a new book that I'm releasing? I was hoping you would. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. I have a new book. It's called The Vegan Starter Kit. And the reason I called it that is... I wanted something that you didn't have to spend weeks and weeks reading. I wanted something that you could read in maybe an hour. Very, very, very short, very easy kind of thing you could give to a family member who's kind of teetering on the edge, but they don't want to have a big brick that they've got to carry with them. Just something that will entice them, that has a nice pretty cover, it's non-threatening, and that has just enough tips for eating out at restaurants or what, what you do on a plane or some recipes that you can make in your kitchen that answers the questions that you get, like where do you get your protein? What, where do you get calcium? Are there supplements I need? And it makes it so easy and approachable and exciting because a person can think, you know, I, I want to reverse my diabetes, but if it's really hard, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so the idea is of the Vegan Starter Kit is it's easy. Here's how you start. Um, this is your simple owner's manual. And in an hour, you're going to know exactly what to do. So anyway, the Vegan Starter Kit is coming out December 24th. It's on Amazon now for pre-order. And here's what I'm really hoping. I'm hoping that people get it not for themselves, but they think of three or four or five people in their family or friends or somebody who needs this. Pick it up. With Amazon, you can actually send it to their address or you can send it to yourself and just give it to them. So it's a skinny little cheap book that I'm hoping people will use as an invitation to their friends to join them in a healthy diet. Yes, mm. and you generously sent me a copy and I absolutely love it. I actually wish that it had existed when I was transitioning because all I had was skinny bitch and those girls are just yelling at me like I'm terrible. <laughs> good, They're good too. They got a lot of people's attention. This one's a little bit simpler. This is just how to go from A to B. Yes, and I actually, I do love it, and I appreciated Skinny Bitch at the time. It absolutely helped me, and I'm not dogging on them at all. But I love this book, so if you're listening right now, get it for your friends and family. This can be a belated Christmas present or a Christmas morning. You know, it comes out the 24th. You can tell someone you bought it for them, and it's on the way in the mail. But let's talk about the holidays before we wrap up. Can you give us some of your best plant-based tips for going into the holidays? You know, this is a time where we're overeating, where temptations abound. I personally have recently given up sugar and dessert. And so I am working on what are my tools when I'm going to be surrounded by all of these decadent things that I'm not going to eat, but I want to eat. So can you talk a little bit about some of your tips for the holidays? First of all, it's really important 
for people to know that all the weight that people gain over the course of the year is gained now. In other words, nobody gains weight in January or February or March or April or May. Where people start gaining weight is after, usually after the summer, when the days start to turn a little cooler and get shorter and, and darkness comes earlier, the little squirrel inside your head says, winter is coming, I better gather some nuts. And so we start eating more and more and more food. November comes, Thanksgiving arrives, the winter holidays hit. And then on December 31st at midnight, everyone is sick of it. They feel rotten and they, and they begin a diet and they start losing weight again. But every year they gain more than they lose. And so they ratchet up and it ends up to be 15, 20 pounds per decade, your average American gains. So we want to be aware of it. And I always like to think internationally, I have to say, if we're eating out at a restaurant for some holiday employee party or something like that, if it's an Italian place, if it's Japanese, if it's Mexican, if it's Chinese, if it's Thai, there are always going to be great plant-based options. If we choose our restaurants like that, either for our holiday parties or when you're on the road, and this is where you pull off to, you're going to find there's going to be plenty of vegan things to eat. When you're at parties, um, it's good to arrive at these parties. It's good to bring something. Bring a couple of things so that other people who are looking for something healthy will have something and you will too. Don't arrive ravenous to a friend's house, you know, and because if you really are just starving, have a little snack before you get there so that you can actually concentrate more on the socializing and less on the, on the buffet. And time will pass. And we feel really so good if we're, if we're able to maintain our health during these times. Yeah, Leslie, I know that you always advise just bringing something, bringing yes, something share. amazing that you can share. And it actually helps other people realize like, oh, maybe this vegan thing isn't so crazy or this healthy thing isn't so bad. Like foods can taste really good. And so if you're not a chef like Leslie, I always bring a cheese plate, a vegan cheese plate. And I get Miyoko's and Kite Hill. And sometimes I make it my own. And this impresses the pants off people and it's just a great party thing that you can bring and it tastes delicious and people don't even know it's vegan. And then when they start to ask like, what, what cheese is this? And you tell them, oh, this is made out of cashews. It blows their mind. And they're like, where can I get some? So you're educating at the same time. And, you know, you have that healthy option for yourself if the rest is going to be, you know, steak and, you know. Yeah, it's a great way to inspire a conversation as opposed to preaching at somebody. I always say the way to yeah. the easiest way to convert people for me is to cook for them. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I love that because there are such great cheeses now, and they're works of art. If you look at at Miyoko, Miyoko's cheese, you know she has one that's you know it's got black volcanic ash on it. She has another one wrapped up in I think it's fig leaves, just gorgeous. And tree line cheese is wonderful, and Kite Hill, they're all great. One thing you can also do that's super easy is you can whip chickpeas into hummus and then you have three or four different ones and you package them nicely, put like some parsley on top of one, put some little red peppers on top of another. And it's just this nicest gift. So you're arriving at somebody's house, you're arriving with present, bring a nice bread or some crackers along with you and they're going to think you're the nicest guest ever and then there's going to be plenty for all the vegans there to eat too yeah yes, and you can get my recipe for pumpkin hummus which i just posted Ooh, on my instagram <laughs> oh wow that's you great. can make hummus with just about anything i love pumpkin hummus right now in the fall and i just did a whole thing on beet hummus as well yum great way to get your vitamins yeah you know i've got to tell you i have i have been lately cooking with beans more and for years and years and years i only used canned beans and i would get canned refried beans or canned black beans i didn't want to cook them from scratch so i thought oh that takes forever but then i suddenly realized they cook themselves you don't have to supervise them so 
you know, you like let them soak overnight and then the next day you mm. cook them for an hour, but you don't have to do anything with them. Yeah. You just let them cook. And then I have one of these little immersion blenders and I am not a good cook. I'm no, I'm no good in the kitchen at all. I'm totally impatient, but with an immersion blender, you just zip it down and you can put a little onions and some jalapenos or some salsa on top. You don't, you don't have to add fat to it at all. And it's the most delicious thing. And if you make, I'll call it refried beans, but it's really just boiled pureed beans. You can do it with black beans, pinto beans, other kinds. If you dress it up with a little bit of salsa and some chips and things, it's just so, so beautiful and tasty. You're making me hungry. I know. My mouth is watering. (laughs) Both of your recipes. Thank you guys so much. Um, So, Dr. Barnard, before we get off, we would love to hear one quick story because we read online that you were quite a musician. We want to hear about your rock star days. Oh, wow. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's true. Well, th- those days aren't over. Yeah, no, I released an album. It's been, let's see, the, the most recent was 2016. It's called Carbon Works, as in, in we are made of carbon and these are our works. So if you can go, if you go on Amazon, you can down or go on YouTube and, and there's a whole Carbon Works channel. We've got lots and lots of videos. So I hope you hope you like them. Guess who's going on YouTube right now? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, in my research, I did not find this. So I'm very excited. And I'm going to find a song to play us out with. <laughs> there's there's a whole bunch of them. And there are, there are about everything. But there are a couple of them that relate to animals. And you might like them. There's one called Louder Than Words, which is um, it's about a little dog who, you know, how sometimes you can just relate to an animal and they melt your heart. And then there's, an, there's another one called Samurai. And they have... Every song is a video nowadays, of course. They have animal-related videos that go with them, and I think you're going to like them. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, too. I just (laughs) found it. I can't wait to listen to it. All right, Roxy, our editor, will pick a video to play us out on. Dr. Barnard, thank you for being with us. Tell everyone where they can find you online and get that vegan starter kit pre-ordered today. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you'll find that on Amazon. It's the vegan starter kit uh, uh, and... Our regular website here is pcrm.org. That stands for the stands for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, pcrm.org. And, of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. Perfect. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. Well, it's been fun talking with you today. There's a time in early hours when we're all just shaking. I'm
statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to change their status update from hashtag blessed to hashtag OMG even more blessed than yesterday, hashtag loving life. If you experience any of these symptoms, make sure to tweet a Kardashian immediately. 